But there is another view that doesn't say we just go around and around in circles and never really make any progress. And it is a combination of the two views. It is a cycle that progresses. You would think by now, wouldn't you, that we would have this sound thing worked out. <laughs> well, we never will quite have this sound thing worked out. There will be Sundays when we don't have it worked out. But hopefully we'll get closer and closer as the days, goes on, as the days go on. So therefore, if you understand life to be one of repetitive progress, then you can be much more satisfied with how life is. You can understand that some days you will seem like you are going backwards, but even in your going backwards, you are going forwards. You will not be discouraged by the fact that it does not progress at a steady pace until the one final time when it all comes to perfection. Now I give you that because it is absolutely necessary to understand the 21st chapter of Luke. In this, there are three or four themes intertwined. One is the, is the, is the end times. The other is the coming of the Lord. The other is the fall of, of Jerusalem. And the other, the fourth one, is the tribulation or persecution. And all of these are woven together. And I suspect that un unless you have studied this passage, the first time through it didn't all compute. So therefore, I would like, just in a few minutes, to give you an outline that can help you understand that passage, because it doesn't go down in order. The first thing this is saying to us, and the key is in verse 32. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all things take place. And he's, thinking, he's talking about all these things that I've just told you. All right? Now, has the Lord come for the second time yet? Has that generation passed away? Well, then the linear theory can't be right or Christ is mistaken. What he's talking about is all of the things of the future will happen in microcosm to us. All throughout the history of man until the Lord finally comes in the end because we have a chance to practice for his coming. We all take that and try to predict his coming. That's not the essence. The essence of this chapter is to prepare us so that we can practice for his coming. Do you really think that in the end days, if you have not been practicing for his coming, you will automatically look up for Christ? No, in the end days, if we have not been practicing, if we are not in the habit of looking up, we will still be looking for our own little messiahs, our own little ways to improve the situation. What he has said has happened through all throughout history. Let me just give you a few of these. In verse 10, he's talking about world events. Nations will rise against nations. Kingdoms against kingdoms. Does that not happen all the time? Has not there been, been predictors of the end times since the time of Christ? Has not been a small group here and then convinced that Christ was coming in the next 10 years because it couldn't be long now? All through history, nations have risen against nations. Today, nations rise against nations. 
<clears throat> some smaller countries today in war, you know what? Many of the battle, much of the battle now, nowadays is economic. It's not militaristic. There is a keen competition. There is a changing world scene. And nations are conquering nations economically. Take a look at the next one. Verse 11, and there will, there will be various great earthquakes in various places and plagues and famines and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. Natural disasters Things, diseases of this world will come upon us. Well, what diseases? I mean, we have conquered the bubonic plague. We have conquered smallpox. We have conquered polio. We have conquered all of these diseases. What diseases will come upon us? Well, cancer, sure. But what other diseases? You know the plague in this country right now is the sexually transmitted disease. And I want you to pay attention to something here. It feeds off the famine that we have because in this land there is a great famine of intimacy. People are hungry for intimacy. But yet they seem to be incapable of intimacy. And so they indulge in sexual activity hoping for some small tidbit of intimacy, only building up their own hunger and only spreading the fear of a sexually transmitted disease. Do you know, I read an interesting statistic, I love statistics. In the single adults who sleep now with people that they have just met, they took a survey and they asked them, what do you think about the next morning? Only 14% of those people woke up the next morning wondering how much of a relationship they had committed themselves to. 62%, on the other hand, woke up wondering whether or not they had contracted a sexually transmitted disease. Now, that says a lot to me. And what it says is that we do have plagues and we do have famines in this land and we need to face them as they are. And we need to practice even during these times of standing up and looking to the Lord. Let's take, let's take another verse. I could... I could talk about that for a long time. Um, verse 12, before all these things they will lay their hands on you and will persecute you, delivering you to the synagogues and prisons, bringing you before kings and governors for my name's sake. You know what they're talking about there? They're talking about litigation. They're talking about being accused in a court of law for practicing your religion. We don't have that in America, do we? You bet we do. You bet we do. We are this land of the free and the home of the brave. But I tell you, religion is being persecuted in many ways nowadays. Many, many ways. And I will grant you that the Christian religion has been granted favored status because of the majority of people in this country are Christians. 
But the way we are combating that is we are beginning to isolate into quarantine all religion. If you will take a look at the first at the religious article of the original religious part of the First Amendment, there are two two uh, 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 sections to it. One is that Congress shall not make any law respecting the establishment of religion. But the other part of it is, and shall not prohibit the free exercising thereof. Now, if you can't exercise your religion in public, what are you free to do? Exercise it in your bathroom? Exercise it under your bed? Thanks a lot. You know what we're doing? We're going back to the least common denominator. And we are taking, in a public sense, a stand against religion because we are asking first the question, who will it offend, instead of the question, who will it bless? And when that happens, things get all turned around. Do you know the percentage of people in this country that say they do not believe in God? Would you like to venture a guess? One percent. Ninety-six percent say they believe in a nameable or conceivable supreme being. Even in the schools where where we're most fearful of it. The figure is 95% for teenagers. And 77% of the teenagers believe in a personal God who watches our life and who rewards and who punishes. Now let me ask you this question. If we have that kind of percentages who believe in a God, then why can't we have prayer according to all of the religious leaders instead of obliterating all of it? I mean, I would not mind if you got Jewish kids, if you have a rabbi come and pray. Would you mind that? I would not mind if you have Islamic kids, if you have an Inman come and pray. I wouldn't mind if you have a a Hindu come. I've been to a Hindu worship service. They talk about light. They talk about love. I wouldn't mind if a Buddhist would come and, and take his turn according to the makeup of the class. And I wouldn't even mind if one day out of a hundred, they just went on about their business in honor of the atheists. But what I do mind is, every day is in honor of the atheists. And no days are in honor of the believers. That's what I mind. You think there's not persecution in this country? There is persecution. It's very subtle. Very subtle. But because we are not big enough to tolerate everybody, we've tried to eliminate everything. That's stupid. That's just dumb. If we can't love and be open enough to tolerate people, the only answer is to eliminate everything. But I think we can. I think we could work it out. I think that we could have an acknowledgement of a believing nation. Well, I'm sorry. I, I, would, I could talk again all day about that, obviously. <laughs> obviously. You know what? Let me just one more, one more. Princeton Research um, did a survey, and in that survey, one of the questions was, um, today, 
Miracles are still performed by the power of God. Do you know the percentage of people who agreed with that statement? 82% of people believed agreed with that statement. Can we pray? No, of course not. That's just silly. Well, okay, let's go on here. Um, look at verse 16. And boy, this will strike some of you. Christ says there will be deep disappointment and deep traitorism by the people who are closest to you. Has anybody experienced that? There will, people, there will be people who should love you and support you, but who who'd hurt you instead. And they destroy you. Now, I want to I be very clear here. I want you to look at the last sentence, or the last word, in verse 16. And they will put some of you to death. Now, skip down right away to verse 18. And it says, yet not a hair of your head will perish. Well, what are they talking about there? It's not a physical death. It's an emotional death. You would not believe the people that I talk to every week. Well, yes, you would because you talk to them too. Who have tried so long to love and have been hurt so much. There's nothing there. It's dead as a doornail. They've been put to death by people who have disappointed them and hurt them. Now, it's not beyond resurrection, but it is dead. Okay, let's, let's go on. Just one more. Verse 20. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, and then recognize that their desolation is, is at hand, the fall of what is a religious stronghold. The fall of what is a religious stronghold. This has been happening all through the history of mankind, and it is happening today. It is happening with um, television evangelists, of course. It is happening with churches that, that looked to be strong spiritually and somehow just plain got off course. And so, there is no anointing. They have fallen. They will exist as an institution. They will go for a long time. And maybe until the Lord comes again, they will still be a church. But they don't love anymore. They're just an organization. So there are falling, fallings of religious institutions. All of these will take place in every generation. Now, what would the Bible have us do? Well, first of all, I'm going to tell you this real quick, so hang on. Because I want, a, I want a longer prayer time than we have a message. <laughs> we won't get that, but I want a long prayer time. First of all, it wants you to not take your first inclination, and that is to appeal to things that you think will save you, but can't. In verse 8, it says, Many will come in my name, saying, I am he. The time is at hand. Do not go after them. We have had false saviors as a culture. In the late 1800s, it was philosophy. We had wonderful philosophers. 
At the turn of the century, it was the Industrial Revolution. We thought certainly that would make the world better. In the middle of the century, it was who could build the biggest military machine. They thought certainly that will give us peace, that will give us security, i.e. the war to end all wars. Right. In the, in the uh, 1950s, we relied upon science. Certainly science and, and the advances in medicine would answer all of our problems. It has raised up twice as many problems. I'm not saying there, the advances are bad. I'm just saying it has been no cure. Now we're looking to information. Certainly information. We're the information society. If we get enough information, that will save us. Baloney. It's not going to happen. They are false Christs. And in our own personal lives, when we face the future and when we're afraid, we begin to single out maybe people that can help us escape. Maybe he has the answer. Maybe if I go to a good enough counselor, they can save me. Or maybe if I have enough insight about myself, I can save myself if I learn enough. Listen, don't go after him. Don't go after him. That is not Christ. There's one Christ, and he comes to us from above. And we are to stand up and look up at him. When I was a little kid and we went out in the boat, we, we took along those cushions, you know, and sat on the cushions. And, and my, my grandpa always said, Papa always said, well, now if we would get overturned, all you need to do is just float on one of those cushions until a boat comes along. One day I went out to swim. We weren't going to go swim, fishing that day. And I thought, well, I'll just get that cushion and float around on it. I dove off the end of the dock. Guess what happened? Went straight to the bottom. You know, all of my young life, I had put my trust in a cushion that if I had ever been in an accident, would have drowned me. That's the same thing we do when we depend upon people or philosophies or money or any other thing to save us other than Jesus Christ. It's the same thing we do. As soon as we start to depend upon it, we can feel ourselves sink. How do we practice? We practice looking up at the Lord. We practice living a testimony. Look at verse um, what verse? Testimony, testimony. Oh, 13, thank you. It will lead to an opportunity for your testimony. So make up your minds not to prepare beforehand to defend yourself. You know the only way that we can really look to Christ in the future is not to prepare our own way. And the thing that God wants more than anything else is that we face the things that make us afraid, and while we face them, we are different than any other living thing in this world. I was talking to Sean last night about his testimony, and he said what so many of us have said when I said, how did you get led to the Lord? He said, I came into contact with people whose lives were different than anybody I'd ever seen, and they were Christians. And I noticed how differently they viewed things. I had seen them before, and I had seen them after, and there wasn't any comparison. And I started to think, there's something to this. Let me ask you this. When you face the future, when you face what makes you afraid, how are you different? Can anybody see something in your life that is not regular, that is not natural. 
Can they see the promise? Can they see security in your life? Can you hear God saying to you, Isaiah 43, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you pass through the fire, you will not be burned. Can you look to him right now? Can you think about your future and look to him right now and get a big grin on your face? Because you know what? You've got nothing to be afraid of. I don't care if you've got some big Goliath problem coming to you with a sword and a spear and a javelin. You can look at him like David looked at him and say, you know, Goliath, you come to me with that sword and spear and javelin and I just come to you in the name of the Lord God of Israel, whom you have offended. Today, I will have your head because the battle is his. It's not mine. It's his. Whatever is born of God, 1 John 5, 4, overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Our faith. This is how we practice for the future. And I want to practice right now. We look up. We look up, and we lay it in God's hands, and we say, God, the battle is yours. Help me not to prepare. Help my life to be a testimony of looking to you for the absolutely impossible. And then walk around like I know it's true. Because it is. I'm going to ask Christy and Sean to come up and just, just sing for a while so that we can pray for a while. And during this time, I'd like some elders to come down here and pray with people who um, would like, uh, if you want healing this morning, if you have a fear that, that uh, is, is facing you right now, um, or anything that you want someone to pray with you with, I'd like you to come down and pray with an elder. Um, Marcia, would you also come down in case they want to pray with a lady? Um, but if God would have you pray with somebody this morning, come down. And let me ask you this. If you have never made a personal commitment to Jesus Christ, if you wouldn't know him from any other cloud, make that commitment this morning. Come down and say, would you lead me in a prayer that I can be sure that I'm saved so that I have somebody to look up to and somebody to recognize and I can start on that journey? Come down. Anyone else who would like to use the altar and pray about something that's coming at you in the future, whether or not you know what it is, but you just sense that there's an area of confusion or an area of threat, we'd like you to be able to use the altar. If you want to pray in your pew, that's fine. Or in your chair, that's fine. 
but we want you to be able to come down. Maybe to get down so that you can look up better. And then at the end, we will uh, we'll sing a song together, won't we? So just lead us in prayer.